The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Good evening, or whatever time it is that you may be listening. And how are you now? Um, I'm okay. I've uh, recovered from uh, the Far East, and I am um, looking forward to a reasonably normal week. You, well, what about you? How are you feeling? I'm not too bad. This was the, uh, the, the kid's ninth birthday weekend. Oh, and what happened there? Did you buy any Star Wars stuff for the kid? I didn't have to buy a single Star Wars thing for the kid because everybody else did. It was oh. Star Wars Lego Central. It was great. Oh, very nice. Well, yeah. good. And uh, so the, the Saturday was the family thing. The Sunday was the kids thing. We took her to uh, uh, Jump Zone, which is basically a giant room with trampolines. You know, we saw something like that on TV today. And I, I, how does that... How can they actually allow that kind of business to work with the liability issues that that must? Did you have to sign some kind of um, uh, uh, waiver or, or, or like if I break my neck, it's not your fault thing? The very first thing you do when you walk in the door, you make a hard left to the waiver section. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Save Ferris. Save Ferris Bueller, that is. We'll look at why the John Hughes teen flick couldn't be made today. The death of voicemail. When Wall Street decides it's over, it's over. J.P. Morgan, Coke, and others pull the plug, but we'll tell you why the Chinese still have a need for it. Why the most important Beatles guitar ever isn't worth the 800 grand it will likely sell for. Even the kids of the Fab Four don't want it for their new band. When drones attack, Enrique Iglesias almost loses a finger at a concert. Plus, we're giving away a pair of high-end headphones, which are Scottish, so you know that they're not crap. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So, how old do you feel now, now that this past week, Ferris Bueller's day off turned 30? Yeah, this one kind of freaked me out. It was uh, 1985, the summer of 85, June of 85, when when that movie came out with with Matthew Broderick, who I had liked since uh, War Games in 1982, I guess it was. War Games was excellent. It was, with Whopper. Yep. Shall we play a game? Oh. (laughs) I think I missed him. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Love to. How about global thermal? Nuclear war. Wouldn't you prefer a good game, Marshes? <laughs> and those giant eight-inch floppy drives, and the uh, the telephone modem that you actually put the telephone receiver in into. Uh, that was a, that was a cool movie. Um, and this was before he uh, killed that guy in Ireland when he drove into him. Um, but it, it, this was a John Hughes movie, and uh, it was. <clears throat> One of my favorite John Hughes movies, uh, the, the teen films. And, and if you watch it today, there are still lots of, I don't know if you can say lessons to be learned, but it certainly is a movie that does, does hold up very well. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. I do have a test today. That wasn't bullshit. 
points on European socialism. I mean, really, what's the point? I'm not European. I don't plan on being European. So who gives a crap if they're socialists? They could be fascist anarchists. It still wouldn't change the fact that I don't own a car. When uh, any of these major films of my youth, I don't know about yours, uh, hit a major milestone like 30, for example, The Breakfast Club recently did as well, inevitably you get the, they couldn't make that movie today, and Mashable.com is right up there by pointing out that um, if they made the film today, the film would come to a grinding halt moments in. For example, um, you've got Tinder now, and Heaven help Ferris if Sloan caught him swiping through Tinder in the car. No, that's true. And again, I wonder if that movie, along with some of those other John Hughes movies, were a little bit too cerebral or are a little bit too cerebral for what people expect in the movies today. Because <laughs> you, you, film, you thought 16 Candles and Long Duck Dong was too cerebral? <laughs> What's happening, hot stuff? Okay, maybe <laughs> Breakfast Club, uh, some kind of wonderful, uh, certainly Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Those are cerebral sort of films, at least from a teen point of view. Because, you know, every once in a while, you've got to stop and look around. Yeah, life does go past pretty quickly. So Mashable points out that, uh, for example, Cameron's dad would have immediately known that his son had stolen his expensive classic car because he would have had an app that would have allowed him to lock the car remotely and receive notifications. The GPS installed would have uh, tracked the Ferrari and known instantly when it left the garage itself. And then, of course, the most important one is Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago, would have had a huge social media presence. His face would have been everywhere. There's no way Ferris Bueller would have been able to get away with claiming to be the Sausage King of Chicago. Okay, Ferris, can we just let it go, please? Ferris, please. Come too far. You get busted. A, you can never go too far. B, if I'm going to get busted, it is not going to be by a guy like that. Come on, Abe. Ask for Abe Froman. Jackie, bonjour. Asking to Abe Froman? The Sausage King of Chicago? Abe Froman? Let me check the restaurant. Could you describe him for me, please? Leather jacket? White t-shirt, sweater vest. Devastatingly handsome. Hold on one moment. Yes, thank you. I'll give you another one. There is no way that you could put that uh, a Ferrari, a modern Ferrari, up on blocks, put it in reverse, and wind down the odometer in reverse. They stopped that like in the seventies or something, didn't they? Well, that was that was a classic Ferrari, so that would have worked uh, in, in in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But you couldn't, you can't do that today, not with the, the electronic odometers that we have. Yeah. No way. You remember when uh, Cameron tried to pretend to be Sloane's dad to get her out of school? Uh, Mr. Rooney would have either had caller ID or he would have had the True Caller app on his iPhone, and we would have known right then and there that Cameron wasn't, in fact, Sloane's dad. Yeah, that's true. And how many kids would actually get up and dance to uh, Donka Shane or Twist and Shove by the Beatles? <laughs> it would have all been Nicki Minaj. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. That reminds exactly. me wow. of uh, the, the sort of the, the anachronisms therein. Uh, we we're talking about that on the Geeks and Beats uh, Facebook page recently, that um, J.P. Morgan is ditching voicemail to save money, and that this is just one of those signs that voicemail is on its last legs. I thought this was a story about three or four years ago where everybody was going to be so focused on customer service that whenever you phoned anybody, 
any big corporation, you would immediately get a live person. Uh, my very first job uh, when I was in high school as a computer sales guy uh, at, a, at the local computer store, uh, the, the guy who trained me, who taught me, the owner, the manager, the, the big brains behind the operation, the coffee is for closers guy, yeah. explained to me that in his real estate company, which was situated uh, in the uh, offices above the, the computer store. He had a rule with his employees. If you did not answer the phone by the third ring, you don't answer it at all because you want people to think they dialed the wrong number as opposed to they just can't get around to answering the phone to take your business. Isn't that interesting? That's actually a pretty good rule. That wouldn't work today. There is one website, and I can't remember what it's called, but if you go to it, it gives you all the numbered prompts that you need to hit in what sequence in order to get a live person as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Apparently, it costs J.P. Morgan $10 a month for voicemail per employee. And by pulling the plug on voicemail, they will save $3.2 million a year. What, what do you mean $10 per employee? It costs $10 per employee to have the voicemail activated on each of their phones? Per month. Holy crap. Really? In the modern day, why would anybody leave a voicemail message when text messaging and email would be the most efficient way to get your message across? Well, I wouldn't leave a voicemail message unless I absolutely had to, because I don't think people... Like if I call the bank, for example, or my the guy that's... Uh, I just renewed my mortgage. And if I call the bank, he never answers his phone. And his voicemail says, I will return your call by end of day. So that makes me think that somewhere around three o'clock or four o'clock, he starts going through his voicemail messages and making phone calls. Well, I don't have time. I'm not going to be around then. Right. So I would rather just leave an e email and, and have him answer me that way. There's an interesting little twist, though. Um, we're all sort of thinking in this Western world, English as the primary language approach to this text messaging in other parts of the world is that much more complicated, particularly in China. And so the replacement Placement for voicemail in China isn't text messages, it's voice memos that you record on your iPhone or your Blackberry or any device like that, and you send those as text messages because it's a lot easier than dealing with the remarkable keyboard calisthenics you'd have to go through. Yeah, for the Chinese characters, yeah, I can understand that. I got a couple of voicemail um, text messages that way um, with iOS 8 that allows you to do that. I I don't see the value in it for me. No, not really. I just, my texts are really short and badly spelled. Back in 2012, so three years ago, Vonage reported that its year-over-year -year voicemail volumes had dropped 8% and that the number of people who bothered to retrieve their messages fell twice as much. So if you leave them, if you leave somebody a voicemail message, there's a good chance they're never going to actually listen to it. Wow. Okay, that's a good lesson. I, I forget my voicemail password. Me too. I've set it up on my phone. I have no idea what my password is. Do you have the visual voicemail on your iPhone? Did you pay the extra for that? Uh, what's that? Where it actually shows you a waveform and you can rewind and scroll forward and back. I never bothered to do that. Uh, let me see. Hang on. But I bet that'd be really handy. I don't have the waveform. Yeah, apparently, and I've never used this, but the visual voicemail shows you the actual voicemail. You have to pay. You have to pay extra for that? Yeah, it's like three or five extra bucks a month. Well, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't blame you. I, I can scroll backwards and forwards through my voicemail, but I don't have the waveform. Why would I have, Why would I pay three to five bucks extra a month for a waveform? Time now for a Geeks and Beats updates. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. 
This is a GNB News Update. How much money are we making? Uh, we are making at this point in the game 200 bucks an episode. No kidding! I kid you not. It's courtesy of our interns at the World's Worst Intern Program here at Geeks and Beats. What makes it the World's Worst Intern Program is you pay us to work here, and you don't actually do anything to contribute meaningfully to the show other than giving us your dollar per episode. And we do this through Patreon. And what makes this really neat is that you can set a lifetime limit. So if you want to support the show for a month, that would be four bucks. And every time we publish a new episode, we ding you for a buck. And then after that, it gets cut off. Leslie Rasmussen, Dave McCauley, Barry Much, Lawrence Feller, Mike Benninger, uh, Michelle Coltman, among those uh, who have recently signed up to be uh, members of the World's Worst Intern Program. We want to thank Joe Pro, Stephen King, Scott Coates, Stephen DuBord, Ian Long, Randy Redekop, who put a buck an episode but set a $31 limit. So we're going to get him uh, for pretty much the remainder of the season. Well, that's fantastic. So we plow pretty much all of the cash right back into the show. Some of it goes to us. Uh, some of it's going to go uh, to thanking the writers at geeksandbeats.com by taking them out uh, to get them all liquored up with a couple of wobbly pops. So we appreciate your, your help uh, with the gang on that. Did you actually just did you actually just say wobbly pops? I said wobbly pop on the air the other day, and I had the guest email me later on asking what a wobbly pop was. He was American. Is this, is this a Canadianism? I must be. It, it must be. Okay. Just don't do it again. You know what else I'm finding for, from a broadcast perspective that is also a Canadianism? What? Hundred. Oh, hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Not a hundred. Hundred. That's a hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, so thank you very much. And what we'll be doing is next week, we are going to be giving away more stuff. And so what happens is we raffle it off in the form of every dollar per episode donation is the equivalent of a ticket. So if you are a member of the world's worst intern program, you can win some pretty sweet swag. As a matter of fact, you want to start the, the, the whole contest right yeah, now? Yeah. Well, what have we got to give away this time? We've got the RHA uh, noise isolating premium in-ear headphones, and they sent me a, a couple of them here. And they're really high-end, nice product. At least $200. One of them is 250 bucks. And so what we're going to do is uh, you'll get a pair of these if you win by uh, getting involved. One of the neat things about the particular model I'm holding here now is the T10i, noise-isolating high-fidelity in-earphones, is you can replace um, the sort of the filter that gets shoved into your ear to either increase the treble, increase the bass, or use the bass line which is the reference and of course it's because it's in ear it's got all the the different little um silicone uh, add-ons so that it wedges in properly i have a set of rha headphones from last year earbuds from last year and they're really good um i i use them quite a bit when i'm out walking the dog uh in areas where i don't have to worry about listening for cars or coming across the street to kill me uh, but they are very, very good. The noise isolating part is what interests me. This isn't noise canceling. I took these on a couple of Trans-Pacific airline flights. And rather than using the headphones that they supply or any of my regular earbuds, these were fantastic because not only were they good for listening to the in-flight audio, but also you just leave them in when you want to have a nap. And it cuts down on all the ambient noise 
so you have a, a better sleep, uh, you know, sitting up in, a, in an airplane seat. It also includes a three-button remote with a 360-degree mic, so you can uh, engage in your telephone call and, of course, adjust the track. That's the other thing I wanted to mention, because I used this uh, talking to my parents on my iPhone when I'm out walking the dog. The mic is very good. Mm-hmm. And my parents, who were in their 80s, uh, had a, a no trouble at all making out what I was saying, even though it was windy. And even though I was speaking through a, um, a remote mic. So, again, if you'd like to win this $250 pair of uh, in-ear noise-isolating uh, headphones from RHA Sound Engineered, uh, all you need to do is go to geeksandbeats.com and click the Support the Show link. Alternatively, just go to patreon.com slash geeksandbeats. Uh, and uh, just for at least a buck, we'd hope that you'd uh, be able to contribute more to help keep the big show up and running because there are costs associated with it. Uh, get on board. No one has really found the recipe yet for digital music. And we think not only can we find the recipe, but we think the Apple brand is going to be fantastic because people trust the Apple brand to get their great digital electronics from. That is where we want to be. And we are introducing a product today that takes us exactly there. And that product is called iPod. Geeks and Beats news update. Apple Music has finally arrived. I thought it was going to be iRadio, but no, they went with Apple Music. Yeah, and you notice in the uh, keynote that they mentioned the word iTunes just once, and that was in reference to a redesign that's coming this fall? Well, apparently iTunes and Apple Music, they're all sort of merging together into one big thing. Well, three big things. Well, three big things. First of all, we have the Beats 1 global radio uh, station, which I'll get back to in just a second. Then there's this uh, streaming music service, which is like any other streaming music service. And then there's this connected part of it, which is uh, demos and lyric sheets and all kinds of stuff uh, that the artist can transmit directly via Apple Music to the fans, which is kind of cool. And if I'm Jay-Z, this is exactly my business plan. Uh, I'm going to my accountant right now. I'm saying, how much of a tax write-off can I get if I close down Tidal right now? <laughs> well, the price is exact same as Tidal. It's 10 bucks or 15 if you want to have up to six family members involved. Nielsen Canada recently came out with a study that concluded Canadians wouldn't pay more than seven. Yeah, that's true. So we're going to see what, what this does. I'd like to address this issue of uh, global radio. Um, any radio station that's online right now and is streaming, isn't that a global radio station? Well, I guess there's the whole rights issues associated with this. This is why, for example, the ongoing history of new music can't be set out as a, as a podcast. Well, actually, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point because there is some geoblocking that does go on. So there has to be some rights negotiated uh, on, well, all through whatever, 190 territories or whatever it is. One of the things I think we really have to be very careful about when we talk about uh, Apple Music is the fact that this is not going to be something that changes everything today or tomorrow or next week. This is a long-term play. And as people buy more iOS devices, you're going to see that this ecosystem grows and becomes more powerful as we go along. And again, we have 800 million people on file with Apple and their credit cards. So this does have a, this is an interesting long-term play. It's not going to wipe out Spotify tomorrow and it's not going to be revolutionary. This is iTunes evolved. This is Apple staking out their claim in the music space and making sure that nobody over the long-term eclipses them. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. 
the most important Beatle guitar ever to be auctioned off. This particular John Lennon guitar so important. I was hoping you could tell me. Uh, Julian's Auctions sent us the press release on this. Is what they are calling the most important Beatle guitar ever to hit the auction block goes up for sale. It had been lost for over 50 years, and it belonged to John Lennon. It was original in 1962 J160E Gibson Acoustic. Okay. Apparently, September 11th, 1962, after getting the guitars, the first song he recorded was P.S. I Love You and Love Me Do. And then it disappeared. All right, so this was a guitar that was used on some of the earliest Beatles hits. Apparently, I want to hold your hand. Please, please me, all my loving, from me to you, this boy, and she loves you, were written on that guitar. Oh, okay. Well, then I understand that guitar being very, very important. The only other guitar that I would really be interested in having is the one that, uh, or the two guitars, or however many guitars, went into that opening chord of uh, Hard Day's Night in 1964. But this is really cool. If this is the guitar on which these big hits were, were, were written... I mean, this should be in the Smithsonian or, or someplace equivalent. That belongs in a museum. So do you. They do, seriously. <laughs> or maybe the sons of the Beatles could use them to form their new band, which I was rolling my eyes over this. Okay, wait a second. Let's just back up with this guitar. If this guitar is that uh, significant, why? Yes. You know, how much is it going to be sold for? Do you, does it say? Is there a reserve price? Yep. The auction estimate is anywhere from six hundred dollars to $800,000. Okay. Now, Paul McCartney doesn't want this guitar. Ringo Starr doesn't want this guitar. So what this tells me is that somebody is going to be suckered into buying this guitar for between eight hundred or six hundred and $800,000 and $800, when the Beatles themselves, the surviving Beatles themselves, don't want it. I mean, if I'm... Yeah, but it's not their guitar. But if I'm, if I'm Danny Harrison, if I'm Julian Lennon, if I'm, you know, the sons of the Beatles, I would want this thing because this is what my dad used to become super, super duper duper famous. Why wouldn't I want this in my family? What this says to me is that somebody is going to be suckered into paying this much when the people who would have a right to own this guitar don't want it. It's who's going to get stuck with this thing. That's interesting because, as we know now, the Sons of the Beatles are forming a band that they'll call The Shoots. You know, that's interesting. Uh, Zach Starkey is also apparently forming a, another band with Roger Daltrey of The Who and Liam Gallagher of X of Oasis and BDI. So um, why wouldn't you, again... If I'm any one of these guys, why wouldn't I want this guitar to add this authenticity to this band that I'm forming that wouldn't exist had it not been for the fathers? James McCartney is quoted as saying, we're influenced by our father's music. That's unavoidable. And we have tried to emulate the rock pop of the 1960s, but we've also induced some modern influences, digital stuff that I think blends really well with the classic rock. So this is called Britpop. 
I mean, we've been here before. Why are we doing it again? And not that there's anything wrong with that. Despite the fact that maybe it's been prophesied ever since the boys were born, that the sons of the Beatles would follow in their father's footsteps to form their own band. Would you really want to? You, you couldn't come anywhere near the success of your parents. Why would you even try? Well, this is really interesting that the fact that we've got the four sons. Yeah, you've got James McCartney, uh, Sean Lennon, Danny Harrison, and Zach Starkey. Now, who's Zach Starkey? Because I don't remember there being a Starkey in the Beatles. Oh, it's Ringo Starr's kid. Oh, is Star not his real last name? No, no, no. It's, it's Richard Starkey. I had, I, I had no idea. I did not know that. You didn't know that? Oh no, no. Zach, no, and, and Zach Starkey played in, in. He's played in a bunch of bands. He's played with the Who. He's played with Oasis. He's played with a, a bunch of other people. He's a very, very well respected drummer, like his dad. So they actually can do their stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, Danny Harrison's a good guitar player. I, I don't know anything about James McCartney. I do know about Sean Lennon, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the for me. And this is probably very unfair. The weak link in this whole thing is, is, is James McCartney. But still, to have a McCartney, a Lennon, a Harrison, and a Starkey or Star in the same band, like one generation removed, that, this is actually kind of, kind of interesting. I mean, w- w- wouldn't you pay to see this? This is, this is really... No, 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 I, mean, I wouldn't. wouldn't. It would feel like a cover band of sorts. It, the, the sound is going to have to be substantially different. Well... This is the closest that you're going to get to seeing the Beatles, you know, 60 years on, right? On the topic of Britpop, and I'm impressed, by the way, that we've managed to make it 28 minutes into the big show, and you have yet to steer the conversation in the direction of pornography. The Spice Girls were originally going with a name that was actually quite not safe for work. Now, I want to point out that I was not the one that steered this in the direction of porn. This was you. Yes, the, the Twitterati have pointed out that uh, you seem to have um, a, a bent in that direction. It's not a bent. It's just that, that the analogies inevitably seem to go that way. I, there's got to be some, like, Godwin's Law. Godwin's Law, which is the calling up Hitler uh, to, to settle an argument. Yeah, eventually any internet argument involves the invoking of the name of Hitler in, in some uh, on one side or the other. There's got to be a law, and maybe this is, can be Cross's Law, and that at some point in the, in the course of a podcast, somebody will bring up an analogy that inevitably leads to a porn site. So apparently in conversation with Fern Malice at the New York City 92nd Street Y, um, Victoria Beckham, otherwise known as Posh Spice, had revealed that the girls originally had planned to name the band the Spicy Girls. And after they did a little bit of research, uh, E! reports that, um, uh, no, that was a really bad idea because the Spicy Girls was also the name of an adult website. Hmm. In 1996. Surprisingly. Really? Yeah. Okay, hang on. 
further, yeah, uh, you're looking it up now, on, are you? Hang on, I'm looking it okay. up. Okay, you, you you work on that. Uh, in the meantime, um, the uh, British teen magazine was uh, talking uh, about the the origins of the names of the individual girls, and uh, Beckham had said that uh, as a Spice Girl, uh, Posh got her name because a British teen magazine had um, nicknamed her that. Mel B really did dress scary. She was always in leopard print. Emma was a baby, always wearing pigtails and awful platform shoes. And uh, that was the origin of, of the girls' names. Basically, the, the British press named them more than anything else. There is no adult website called the Spicy Girls. And you can spell spicy with an E or without. With, with an E, there is no domain registered. But the Spicy Girls is a New York improv team. They might be happy to know that. Did you go to the Wayback Machine at the Internet Archive, archive.org? Uh, well, I'm looking at the spicygirls.improvteams.com. So let me just get rid of improv teams here and go right to spicygirls.com. Mm-hmm. And I get a 404. God, we should probably register this domain right now. <laughs> and do what with it? <laughs> we, I don't know. I mean, okay, hang on. Let's just go. I'm going to see how much it costs to register this. It's probably You could probably register for 25 bucks. I'm going to see. Hang on. Uh, hover.ca is my favorite place to go if you want to register a domain name. Where do you go? I used, yeah, hover, yeah, hover all the time. So oh, spicygirls.com is not available. I'm afraid to go to spicygirls.com right now. The spicygirls.ca is available. No, no, wait. The spicygirls.com is available for twelve ninety nine. All right. Hook us up. All right. Well, you've got the account. <laughs> Great. Now it's all on me. It's, yeah. So you, listen, you brought up this one. Let me, okay, let's, let's spell it without an E. And uh, spicygirls.xxx is available if you <laughs> want it for 80 bucks. 80 bucks. There you go. That's a deal. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. Well, you knew this was an inevitability. Oh, drones at concerts. Enrique Iglesias! Pitbull! Mr. Worldwide! Drones at concerts and somebody's trying to snatch one out in midair. Yeah, so Enrique Iglesias was performing in, I guess it was in Hollywood, and he tried to snatch a drone that was actually part of the show. It was actually flying over the audience and over the stage. He tried to snatch this drone out of the air, not realizing that it had four or five propellers keeping it in the air, and he sliced his hand something fierce. He needed reconstructive surgery on one hand, on one finger, and he's had to postpone the tour on the rest of it. So this wasn't exactly a, a, a drone attack. <laughs> yes, when drones attack. My favorite theory was this was a stunt organized by Muse to promote their new album, which is called Drones. I love that, but it's not not the case. But you are going to see problems with drones. I mean, we're already seeing problems around the White House. We hear stories uh, probably one a week now about how drones are affecting aircraft coming in for landings or takeoffs at uh, major airports. And if you can go out and buy one for like 400 bucks... It's, uh, you know, these, and you don't need a license to operate a drone. These things can be a real hazard and nuisance. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever read the book Kill Decision by Daniel Suarez, but uh, Daniel Suarez is, is a really good tech thriller writer. And this particular 
book is all about what drones could do, especially if they become autonomous. It's not a pretty thing. After uh, a drone had landed at the White House recently, a new um, software had been updated by DJI, which is one of the world's biggest makers of higher-end drones. You can drop 300 bucks on a drone. You can drop 60 bucks on a drone. But if you're willing to drop $1,000 or more, DJI is the, the way to go. These guys have really ruggedized uh, quadcopters that have gimbals underneath so that you can keep a perfect steady image of the video that you're trying to record, etc. But the new models have firmware updates because the unit itself has GPS built into it, the firmware will now prevent the quadricopter from entering restricted airspace. Oh, isn't that interesting? Well, interesting and dangerous because all it takes is a government, whether it be municipal, provincial, federal, state, what have you, calling up the company and saying, we don't let people fly drones in our parks. This is the GPS data that you can use to geolock a particular area. Sure, maybe flying over City Hall is probably a bad idea in this terrorist George W. Bush era. But if you just want to simply go to a park, it's distinctly possible that your local government is going to be able to override your ability to have some fun with your $1,200 toy. Now, should people be licensed to fly drones? Absolutely not. Until it gets to a certain size where you could kill somebody with it, then it's a hobby. It's a toy. When model airplanes, remote control airplanes and remote control helicopters came on the scene 50 years ago, we didn't start freaking out about that, even though you could attach rockets and bombs to them just like you could anything else. It's this post 9-11 world in which we're scared to death because some jamoke on YouTube put a Roman candle onto his and fired it at his buddy that you got the FBI all freaked out. Hmm. I was watching Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee by Jerry Seinfeld, and there was uh, uh, an episode with... Is this the Julia Louis... You know, I saw the Louis C.K. Uh, one. So I got a car. Oh, my God. <laughs> what kind of engine is in there? It's, it's like a, a two-cylinder. It's a two-cylinder? It's like, like an old motorcycle. Yeah. One for me, one for you. <laughs> Can you imagine walking into a car dealership and going... Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> How's it in the snow with yeah. the wicker? How's the wicker? How's the wicker in the in snow? In the snow. That's how you started? Yeah. Well. Wow. Okay. You're not going to believe this, but we're moving. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, they use a lot of overhead shots with uh, the cars that they're driving. And, and I thought, oh, okay, well, that's cool. They got a helicopter. No. They're actually using GoPros on, on, on drones. And there was one shot in the Louis C.K. episode where you actually see the, the shadow of the drone on the parking lot below. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, these things are becoming ubiquitous. They showed off their drone on the latest season, season four. Uh, the opener was with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And if you haven't seen it, my God, you have to. I had no idea the woman's comedic chops were as fantastic as they were. Sorry, do, do you watch Veep? I'm loving Veep, particularly. Oh, what a great show. Best insults on TV. Yeah, Veep is fantastic. And and she's she's doing a, an incredible job on that show. And uh, Hugh Laurie just joined it as well. Yes, yes. Uh, he plays their new vice president, uh, or the nominated vice president anyway. Um, but yeah. uh, in Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, at the very end, they show the drone flying over the car. And it's a fairly high-end unit. It's probably about $2,000 or so. And there's some newer models out there as well that have a Bluetooth or a, a Wi-Fi dongle that acts as a, a wristwatch. And what it does is it talks to the drone 
and then the drone will follow that wristwatch no matter where it is or where it's going. This is the Lily camera, a drone that will follow you shooting video. So now you don't even need to pilot these things. They are fully autonomous. A Silicon Valley startup has been working on this for 18 months. This is a prototype model. The commercial device isn't out until early 2016. Are we going to have to buy one? Well, maybe if the world's worst intern program kicks it up a notch and the interns give us a couple more bucks, I think we definitely need one for a podcast. And we would use it for... But not evil. I had a. Did I tell you my story about the drone that I had? Uh, Parrot had sent me uh, their AR drone two uh, for App Central when I was recording that show a few years back, and I immediately got it stuck in a tree. <laughs> it was a three hundred dollar toy that cost me two hundred and fifty dollars to get an arborist cherry picker up to my local park to pull the thing out of a one hundred year old tree about one hundred and fifty feet up. Oh, okay. So they're 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 okay. That that's. <laughs> and 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 when I, I tried to weasel my way at having to pay the bill i said listen we'll, we'll we'll bring our camera guy down we'll shoot the video we'll make you guys look like the heroes that saved the day and they said we don't want to be on tv i said why wouldn't you want to be on tv they said every time we're on tv you know pulling a cat out of a tree or something we get flooded with phone calls from people with cats and trees and it messes with our schedule we don't want to have anything to do with it here's your 250 dollars bill <laughs> that's fantastic yeah uh, well, we would probably do something stupid with it. Did I ever tell you what? I had a friend. Um, we were 16 years old, and I had a friend that was in the Air Cadets. And he actually had his private pilot's license. So one day, we went to St. Andrews Airport, north of Winnipeg, mm -hmm. and we rented uh, a single-engine Cessna. So two 16-year-old guys. Uh, on a Sunday afternoon. We're given a Cessna? Well, that's what we rented. It was 60 bucks an hour. Wow. And uh, he was a fully qualified pilot. I had had my license for like you know two months, and he had had his for like four months. Yet we they gave us a plane. Nervous? Yes. First time. No, I've been nervous lots of times. And what we did was uh, immediately fly northeast of Winnipeg to uh, a town called Lebo, and uh, Lebo has a or had. Still mind, I don't know. Uh, a, a nudist colony. So <laughs> what we did on this Sunday afternoon in July, two 16-year-old knobs in a rented Cessna, we buzzed a nudist colony. Now, if we had a drone, we wouldn't have to do any of this. There's a couple of nudist colonies around here, by the way. Do you see that Chinese tech millionaire who built his headquarters to look like the USS Enterprise? This is pretty cool. This, uh, I, if you go to Beijing, you will see a number of crazy, well, it's Beijing, it's uh, Guangzhou, it's uh, Shanghai, not so much uh, Hong Kong, but some of the, 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 the big Chinese cities will have these unbelievably weird and adventurous and cool buildings uh, that, that, that you just can't believe actually exist. And this guy, went out and built his headquarters to look very much like NCC 1701. 
the 1701E, the Sovereign class starship, he spent 97 million US dollars. And so for about 600 million yuan, he built a building that looks for all intents and purposes like the Sovereign class ship itself. He built it in the city of Changli. It's six floors, 260 meters long, 100 meters wide, took four years to build and opened in May. Not immediately clear if the building has a warp drive. Yeah, I would probably say no, but it does have a bridge. It looks like it does have a 10 forward. Uh, you can see the engine nacelles on either side of the bridge uh, and, uh, and back of the bridge. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, obviously, not so much of an issue with zoning in certain parts of China. But, uh, you know, we, I, you look at the, the skyline of downtown Toronto or any, any city in, in North America, with the exception of maybe Miami, and it's pretty boring. But if you go into <laughs> China... The stuff that you can see is pretty weird. There's that one building in Beijing. I guess it's a CCTV headquarters, which uh, looks like this. This it's it's a square with this giant hole in the middle. It's it's and I've actually driven past it. It's fantastic looking, and I actually applaud this kind of architectural daring do. They sent the legal documents necessary to make it all happen. It's all above board. But you know how I know this is not a perfect replica of the Enterprise? Other than the warp drive, why? There are washrooms. Uh, I think in the 23rd century, nobody went to the bathroom. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.